Psychology Podcast. I am Charlotte Skogsberg, your host for this podcast. I am enchanted to meet and to take you with me on this journey into the human psyche viewed from the holistic approach of yoga and Ayurveda and viewed from the modern man approach of clinical psychology and psychoanalysis. So have something nice to drink next to you, maybe a cup of tea, have a seat or go out for a nice walk in nature maybe. Enjoy. This episode that focuses on psychology, I want to make a bit of a hybrid because I want to explain to you the secret knowledge on our psyche that was already expressed thousands of years ago. And I want to bring your attention more specifically to this text that those of you who might be yoga teachers because you went through a 200 yoga teacher training have heard of and maybe other ones have heard of it as well. The book, let's say, (laughs) the scriptures, the text called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. This is a fairly short text of 195 aphorisms or short sentences explaining in a very practical and pragmatic way how to achieve liberation. And when we say liberation, let's remind ourselves what we talk about. We talk about the fact that For thousands of years, as long as mankind has been around, probably, philosophers, sages, have always sought to find the solution, the release from suffering. So when we speak of freedom, it is always a question of freedom from suffering. And when you actually sit down and study these 195 sentences, you begin to unfold the richness of the understanding that lies behind the words that are chosen. Now, it's really important that if you ever would try to, therefore, look for a book that translates the Yoga Sutras, that you pay extra attention to the interpretation because these sentences are very short and each and every word have a meaning. So it's not just sentences to fill pages or to make a paragraph into an understanding of a paragraph. No, it's actually each word is very well chosen and for this reason just reading the phrases or the sentences might not bring us much 
what brings us the richness is the interpretation. And so we want to come as close to the truth as possible by reading books where the interpretation of the sentences have been done by some of the very first ones who did this. It happens very often these days that we derive from the source and that we read interpretations of different things and amongst them the Yoga Sutras made from a very modern perspective, from a Western perspective. And that in itself, there's nothing specifically inherently wrong with it, but actually it loses the original sense. And therefore it loses the core teaching of it. So for instance, many yoga teacher trainings who use, base a lot of what they do on the Yoga Sutras, do not integrate at all the philosophy that is the base of the Yoga Sutras. I've spoken, I think, about this in the past because if you would base your yoga practice, your perception of yoga on the Yoga Sutras, it means that you base yourself, you use the flavor, let's say, from one specific philosophy, which is also the one that Ayurveda bases itself on. And that is the philosophy called Sankhya philosophy. And in Sankhya philosophy, we look at the universe as built up of two things, energy and matter, or consciousness and matter. Purusha and Prakriti. And that the essence of our suffering comes from the fact that we take one for the other, we confuse the two. One is eternal and one is temporary. And we tend to conflict our understanding in what is eternal and what is not. And the suffering that we're constantly in stems from this confusion. And so if we can see that and know that Patanjali has that perspective when he writes down these aphorisms, then everything takes a new turn, an increased understanding. Yoga in this book, in Sankhya, is not yoga asanas, is not moving around on a mat. Yoga is actually meditation. And the only place in this book that we hear really asana is when it is said that it should be still and comfortable with ease. Which means basically sitting in a, in a meditative position for a long time. But yoga is not only this. Yoga is this practice of doing that. And yoga is the goal to be obtained, which is to establish oneself in this stability, in this peace of mind, in this clear voyance of understanding the difference between what is eternal and what is temporary. So how do we establish ourselves in yoga? And that is where we start actually 
the studies of this book. And so basically what Patanjali gives us is the procedure on how to find peace of mind. And we find peace of mind when we understand that we keep mistaking what is temporary for what is eternal. Translated into our understanding, our words, when we can see that our thoughts are not us. My thoughts are not my reality. My thoughts are not I. My thoughts keep changing, which means that they hold a truth only in that second and in the next there is no truth in them anymore. And because we keep identifying ourselves with the thoughts that we think, so when I say we keep identifying ourselves with the thought that we think, we keep confusing these temporary thoughts with the sense of I, this is me, we suffer. So what Patanjali prescribes is to learn how to control these patterns of thoughts that we keep thinking. As long as our intellect, which is different in the Sankhya system to thoughts and emotions, as long as our intellect is clear, we can choose to take in from the external the right knowledge. We can choose to perceive everything that goes on around us and take in only the right knowledge. We can choose as well to take in wrong knowledge. We can choose to take in imaginary things. We can choose sleep and we can also choose memory. This is how we begin to explain. This is how we function. What does that mean in our words? Well, it means that when we look at the world around us as a human being, we interpret everything that happens to us that we see and that we do either from a perspective of an objective analyze or <laughs> through our own filters making stuff mean things solely built on what is going on in our heads, our imagination, things that we've experienced in the past, for instance. But when the intellect is really clear, when we see things clearly, we can therefore choose to not go into those habits that we have of interpreting based on past experiences, but instead actually integrate the right knowledge. And we can do that through direct perception, which is really what we do when we begin life, right? So we, we start out in life as babies, it's direct perception all the time. Everything that we experience, we experienced firsthand. We touch, we taste, we look at, we shake, right? We all these things, we're learning the world around us through direct perception. There is no intermediate kind of, or no mediator, I want to say actually, giving us the information. Very often it's just from direct perception. Also because, well, we're in a state where we might not integrate people's explanations in our psyche, in our intellect. So it's a one-on-one -on -one kind of learning. So this 
we can continue doing later on in life, but we tend to be a little bit less good at doing that because later on in life, all of a sudden, we allow for the experiences from before, the image that we have of ourselves to interfere with what is going on. We can also choose, and that happens also a little bit later on when our intellect is more developed, to analyze situations based on things that we know are true and then say that A plus B makes C. Now in the yogic texts we would call this inference. So it's basically the example that I see smoke coming from the mountains and I understand, I make an, I analyze the situation based on past experiences when I've seen smoke that it might be a fire happening in the mountains. I don't actually see the fire. If I would see the fire and experience the fire that would be the direct perception. But since I'm only seeing the smoke I make the analyze that I analyze that there is a fire going on. But once again in order for that to happen that I can make that I can analyze things in right knowledge that can only happen if I don't base my thinking in that moment, my interpretation of it, based on, let's say, negative past experiences. Because then I would most probably make assumptions that might not actually be true, and therefore that would not be right knowledge, but wrong knowledge. And once I start to make assumptions about things, that easily spiral spirals into imagination in our head. You start to make a movie. I know that I've done that many times in my life and I think most of us do because we are also very much in what we call the negativity bias which means that we believe ourselves to feel more, be more safe if we prepare ourselves for the worst case scenario. It's really kind of what that means. So in order to see things clearly I need to have a clear intellect so that I can choose to take in the right knowledge from the information that it's giving in any second of the environment around me. I can analyze the situation even if I don't see the direct source from it and then get the right information but only if I actually use the right knowledge with the clear intellect. I could also potentially go into assumptions basing myself on past experiences that are negative and therefore go into wrong knowledge that can spiral into imagination about things based on memory. So that is very common for us to do and that is often why we suffer because we then take those thoughts for I. We take them for something that is eternal. So in order to deal with this, in order to free ourselves from suffering, Patanjali says that it means we need to undo the patterns of behavior that are deeply stored in our bodies, in our unconscious, and in our subconscious, and that drives us when we react without awareness. And he says that there's three ways, three what we would call methods or techniques of meditation, hence of yoga, meaning not what happens on your mat so much, there is the way of the advanced practitioner, he begins by telling us. And that is 
for someone who's already established the new healthy habits. Someone who's already capable of making this distinction of clear intellect, not identifying oneself with our thoughts. And for that, advanced practitioners, the work, the yoga, the meditation is to keep going, keep practicing, meaning repeat these habits over and over because we keep getting sidetracked, right? So the, the reminder here is just do your practice. Practice and all is coming. Stick to it. But do it without getting identified with your habits, without expecting results. Because what tends to happen, and I think most of us know this, when we have practiced a skill for a certain amount of time, so that we come, become good at it, then there is this thing that happens where it becomes a little bit of a challenge. Because if all of a sudden we don't do it as well, or if all of a sudden we fall back, we fall short, we get deeply dissatisfied with ourselves because we're expecting something else since we're so good at it. We're caught up in the ego again, in the idea again of identifying ourselves with our thoughts. So what it tells us is keep doing it, just keep doing it, but just do it for the sake of doing it, not for an expected result. Interpretation back into our modern days. Stop trying to improve yourself. Support yourself where you are at today. Instead of looking at what's going on now, being disappointed with it, and then looking at that Instagram picture of where you would want to be and spending your day analyzing the gap in between, forget about the result and create a support for yourself right now. Do that practice, not because you're trying to get somewhere. Do it simply for the sake of doing it. Practice that habit because it makes you feel good. Practice that meditation because it clears your mind in this moment. But I began this part by saying that this was for the advanced practitioner. So that means that most of us are trying to do this without having done the work before. And the work before that we have already for the intermediate practitioner. Now the intermediate practitioner is already a little bit more advanced. So let's say that those would be the ones who have already started to kind of take action, right? Who started to develop a certain self-awareness and seen that there's stuff here that I'm not really happy about. I'd rather take control over my thoughts so that I don't just keep having this unconscious bad behavior that just sabotage for myself. And the intermediate practitioners, they still have a lot of patterns that need to be cleared. And here he gives us three things to do. Firstly, we need to practice what we could translate almost into the burn, the fire, burn through the blockages. Tapa, we call this in Sanskrit. What that means is kind of 
noticing that I have this really attached emotional entertainment value reward linked to my eating habits and that I really need to eat certain things in order to have a slight feeling of satisfaction in life. And I noticed this, and this is a bad pattern for me because it's not helping me and it's it's not the right knowledge, right? It's it's me mistaking something for what it's not, which is really what an addiction is. So it's an addiction. So as I practice, I've got three things he tells me. The first one is burn through that blockage. What does that mean? Practice the opposite. What's hard for me is therefore to develop a really dispassionate relationship to food by eating things that are very plain. They are not full of fat and sugar and this and that in order to make me feel satisfied and entertained, but instead very simple things and learn how to eat them simply to nourish my body. As I do this, I am using the second tool that he gives for the intermediate practitioner, and that is self-awareness, self-study. I observe how I react mentally and emotionally and physically even to this practice of tapa, to this practice of burning through the blockages by practicing the opposite. And I begin to notice, therefore, the patterns of thoughts, the narrative that accompanies all of this. And then finally, the third part, which in the Yoga Sutras is explained as surrender to a higher reality. I would even call that actually the letting go. The Now, you've done that work, which is hard, to practice the opposite, to be aware of yourself. And then you let it go. You let it be. You surrender. You trust that simply by doing your practice, simply by getting up every day, doing what you've given yourself as a procedure to do, by supporting yourself where you are at instead of trying to improve yourself all the time, you will get there. That is what the surrender is. But even this part, even this practice that many of us attempt and might fail with and find very hard, is to be done by the intermediate practitioner. So for the beginner, for the beginner, we need to first of all come back to changing our perception of the world and of ourselves. And so for the beginner, Patanjali gives us eight limbs of yoga, Ashtanga. And the very first true steps of this is the yamas and the niyamas, the universal ethics to live by and the personal ethics to live by. The other ones where we come into the sitting and the breathing and the concentration, that comes once we have established ourselves in the universal and personal ethics. And the very, very first one, the number one ethic to integrate is ahimsa, non-violence. So can you see that there's so much work for us to do and that we tend to want to jump into too far ahead for ourselves 
very easily because of our ego, because we identify ourselves with our thoughts, wanting to be so advanced and going for extreme practices and going away for the retreat of this and that and the other, even though we haven't even been able to practice nonviolence in everything that we do, in how we treat ourselves, in how we treat others, in the foods we choose to eat. I am so grateful that you have chosen to give me some time of your day to listen to this episode. Now, this is all done on my free time. There's no money involved in this podcast. So if you would like to support me somehow, I would love for that to happen. And you could do that by simply rating and reviewing. So what that means is that if you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can simply give me five stars review and you can give me a commentary. Obviously, if you feel that it deserves it. Once again, thank you so much and enjoy the listening. There is a depth so profound in these scriptures, in these teachings that is missed out completely in so many of these. Put on your Lululemons and roll out your Manduka mat and show your handstand. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast and this episode. I am very grateful. If you enjoyed this and you think that other people could enjoy this, please help me to spread the word. Share this episode on any channel that you have of social media or messaging. And even more so, I would really appreciate if you know one other person who might benefit from my words today specifically. Take that one minute it takes to simply share this episode with one person. Remember that there's a human being on the other side of your phone, of your earpods, of this microphone. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what I've been talking about. So please leave a comment. Send me a message directly if you wish. This is Charlotte. This is me. See you next time. Namaste. Mm-hmm.